0: Hello, listeners. We've got such, a great, such two great guests. There are podcasters that uh, joined with their existing show, our Mental Health News Radio Network. The show is called America Trends. I love it. And uh, we've got, so we have Larry Rifkin and we have John Krofsick joining us. Larry, we're going to start with you. Welcome again.
1: Well, Kristen, I can't thank you enough. Uh, having met you as a guest on my show, and now being able to both guest on your program and also be part of your incredible network, I am so grateful and uh, blessed that we have the opportunity to work together.
0: Me too, me too. I love what you wrote for this particular show today. We look forward to joining you for a discussion of our podcast and how and why we decided to take the eclectic swat at social and <laughs> political friends that we have. <laughs>
1: Well, we're we're two big uh, batsmen, uh, John and I, (laughs) and uh, we love to tackle things that uh, perhaps others might say, why are you casting such a wide net editorially? And uh, our answer simply is that um, our minds are inquisitive. And frankly, if I'm interested in it, I'm going to assume that there's an audience for it because uh, I don't know a lot. I know what I don't know, and I know what I'd like to understand just a little bit better. And uh, that's what we try to do as we're looking ahead and not with any crystal ball or not with any uh, sense that, uh, you know, these are just highly speculative approaches that we're taking. Uh, We have incredible guests who really have a lot of basis For what it is that they can say about where we are headed as a society and as a culture and in our politics.
0: Absolutely, and I love you know how, I mean I don't I'm I think I'm, at the same age or maybe a little bit younger than you are at 49, so I love the idea of you know you had written we come from the old analog world of gatekeepers and curators in radio and television to the more freewheeling environment of the internet. And it's, it's very true. I think I, I have maybe have a little bit of an edge just because I come from the career of technology. Um, so I'm a little bit more up on what's going on with younger generations, but not by much.
1: <laughs> no, no. I, I want to give you a lot of credit. Believe me, I am really impressed. Folks, whenever I even have a meeting with Kristen... Uh, She's doing some things to prompt me on the other side using uh, her technology uh, that kind of wow me, uh, do amaze me. So, no, I do come a bit out of that old school and do consider myself an editorialist, uh, somebody who's really been an idea person over the years, uh, trying to bring uh, lots of projects that were at a time really more one way than communication is today. In other words, I was the broadcaster. I was the authority, I was the gatekeeper or the curator of a lot of uh, content and the people had to get through me in order to get it. Today, as you know, the gate has swung wide open. Uh, nobody has to wait for somebody to green light to anything. I mean, we obviously had to impress you enough to get on your network, but as you indicated to your listeners before, we had our podcast and we were already up, but you give us a certain authority. You give us a certain relational, uh, opportunity, uh, to be associated with your great passion for the health and well-being of our society and we think we fit pretty comfortably Absolutely. even if our way of doing it comes from a different place
0: how are you about uh, light teasing
1: of yourself? yeah
0: sure okay so of the, course. this will crack you up i hope uh you know aline lovely aline from london who does our press releases yes Yeah. So she wrote your. She was working with you to to do her press release, and uh, she was so worried that she was making you angry. And you know, she'll listen to this, Hyaleen, and she'll laugh too. And she she had forwarded me an email from you that said, "Well, should we? um, Do we need to send you our contacts so that and their addresses so that you can?" Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said I wrote her back, and I, you know, they, my whole team knows me and how sarcastic I can be in the lightest, non-shaming, you know, way—just the most pure, lighthearted, fun way. I said, "No, we're not going to do that. However, we can get out a scroll and um, and some parchment paper and some ink, and then give it to our carrier pigeons so that they can go fly <laughs> it to everyone." <laughs> Yeah,
1: well, that was fine. You know, I didn't know quite what the rationale was, but I was fine <laughs> with it because I was then able to send out uh, what it was that she did uh, to these contacts that were much more uh, local to the uh, state of Connecticut where uh, we had broadcast over the years. So uh, no, I, I didn't quite understand the genesis of that, but it was fine.
0: It, was, <laughs> you know, and it, it was, was fine. It's funny because my son says this to me, and it always makes me laugh. I'll send him an email, and he'll say, "Well, where did you get the message?" No. Where did you send it? To your email mom, email is the new carrier pigeon. Can you just text it wow. to me? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's awful. So he teases me constantly, which my thank goodness my stepfather, he was the first one to laugh, you know, at himself. Um, but uh, I, I love it. I those little things where well, you... I've
1: gotta tell you that I can remember working in a television broadcast environment. And there was our head of uh, development at the time, and he came to all of us and said, hey, guys, we've got to start using this email. (laughs) And we all looked at him like, what? What is email? And this has got to be a fad, and it's never going to last. And uh, so uh, believe me, I've been around for uh, a couple of years. We've been around when uh, we had to use razor blades to edit, and uh, there was such a thing as tape. It's funny, in my basement are so many tapes of projects that I was involved with or times that I was on the air. And there are all these formats, uh, Kristen, that you probably have never even heard of. I mean, we're going back to two-inch tape, one-inch tape. We're Mm -hmm. going back to, of course, VHS. We're going back to all kinds of formats. And uh, what do you do with some of this stuff? Oh, my God. I know. And I mean, I
0: do know it because my mother was a librarian so I oh. I was around all that kind of stuff all the time I yeah, we had garage full of uh, yeah. punch cards I was saying to someone the other day you know I, I worked at a hotel when I was 18 and this was before hotels were computerized and I went wow that makes me sound ancient because I actually did ch- I left the hotel industry before computers came into it we actually worked on a um, it was called a microcomputer that you literally had mm-hmm. folios in a, nobody's even gonna know what a folio is, but you and me and a few other people, but you know, in a box and we had to take it out and punch it into this microprocessing. I mean, it was just nuts. And my son hears that and he's like, Mom, don't actually say that out loud.
1: <laughs> well, you know, when you think about the revolution that's taking place, it's interesting how close to home it's hit me. And I'll tell you a funny quick story that um, my cousin actually married uh, the number 12 employee at Intel, and he was the one who led the team at Intel uh, building the microprocessor. And so it's amazing to have, uh, you know, your own version of Edison uh, sitting next to you at family events. And my cousin, I can't say, is terribly technologically advanced. But the funny thing about Ted Hoff, uh, who I'm, um, I'm speaking of... He doesn't like to use a lot of the technology himself, so he'll still take out uh, a map and he'll uh, you know, go through it. He doesn't want to use GPS. Uh, I don't think I've ever gotten a text or an email directly from Ted. So it's interesting how we all approach uh, all of this technology, whether we know how to use it or not, whether yeah. we choose to or we don't.
0: Exactly. And it gets overwhelming too. I said to my web designer today um, people will Facebook direct message me, Instagram direct message, Twitter direct message, and text me on my phone and send me an email. And I'm like, I can't successfully run a company when I have all this important data coming to me, like from all these different places. Uh, Yeah. You know, I, I just, there's no way. It's got to funnel through one single source, but we aren't portal that lives in a single source portal anymore. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a really good point. And, and by the way, I'm going to bring another guest on in a moment. Uh, well, your guest, uh, John Krofzik, <laughs> who knows a whole lot more about technology than I do <laughs> and is my partner on America Trends. But before I bring John on, I do want to say that that would make a great podcast. I mean, I think a lot of people presume that everybody sitting next to them actually knows how to uh, flush content they don't need anymore uh, right. to make certain that all of their materials and all of their technology is up to date and uh, the latest uh, version of uh, you know 12.0 or whatever. And I think we'd be surprised at how many people are in the same quandary, you know, trying Absolutely. to figure this all out, and that it never ends. And there's always new things you have to do and new things you have to learn. Uh, to keep to up to the latest standards.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's bring well, John, John. is there
1: anything you'd like
2: to say? No, I'm enjoying the conversation. Hi, Kristen, how you doing?
0: <laughs> Hello, hi, John. <laughs> I'm good.
2: No, I, it's fascinating.
0: Yeah, it is. Well, I bit- wouldn't call it fascinating, <laughs> at least for my
2: <laughs> Well, well to think about in. from where we came to where we, we are today. I mean, I it, technology-wise, know. it's amazing.
0: I used to set you know, up people's just... palm pilots, and now I'm like, my God, those didn't last for it. That went the way of the dodo bird, but certainly not email. <laughs> well, I yeah. used to fix,
2: fix things with vacuum tubes. I mean, wow. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) And by the way,
1: Kristen, I mean, John still does engineering for an AM radio station with Uh a ground system and with all kinds of transmission capabilities and, you know, issues that go back probably in terms of trying to get new parts and all that go back, what, 50 years, John?
2: Yeah, well, the towers were put up in 1934, so there's parts around here that are just ancient, like, you know, 85 years old and stuff is still... Chugging away. I mean, it's amazing.
0: It's yeah, it's amazing what still chugs over. Well, it, it, it was, was
2: so amazing. overbuilt in those days. They were yeah. thinking, you know, this stuff's got to last. And and you know, the thinking was a a lot different than today's electronics, which are really, you know, you throw it away and you buy a new one. Right.
0: Right. Exactly. And you know, if there's a zombie apocalypse, we do have to go back to using Morse code. I mean, that's just the way that it is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well just to um, kind of insert our podcast into this recently we posted and it was episode number 227 if anybody wants to go on america trends on your wonderful network and find it tom wheeler who's a former commissioner of the federal communications commission he's written a great new book called from gutenberg to google a history of our future i just love the whole concept And he talks about all the changes in networks over time from the printing press uh, to the telegraph and railroad, which really uh, together combine to uh, create all kinds of changes in our society. And then, of course, the one that we're into now and that we're discussing, which is the digital revolution that we're now in.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What I love, too, is, well, first of all, you both have just killer Broadcasting voices. <laughs>
1: oh,
2: I don't. Know. I stay behind the scenes.
0: <laughs> well, kind of scary out there. Yeah, in a sea <laughs> of everybody being able to pick up a mic and just broadcast themselves. You you absolutely notice someone who is practiced at this. They've been doing it a long time. They're just good at this, and so that's something that I I notice right away. And I. I don't know. Maybe I'm in a middle place. I don't know what it is, but I have this profound respect for um, anyone that's done this and honed their craft over a long period of time and in in areas of this field that are not used anymore, but they have all that experience from it it lends itself to you know, to a richness and depth to what you put out into the world. And then I also appreciate, you know, the 16 to 22 year olds that come in and they have their own fresh voice and their own fresh take and all that. It's, it's, It's interesting to ride both sides of that.
1: Yeah, it really is. I mean, podcasting is a very interesting new opportunity for so many people who have an interest in communicating. And we know that a lot of it is going to be in a shakedown cruise over time. I mean, believe it or not, there are 660,000 of us. Mm-hmm. I don't know of that number how many are, you know, really aggressive, serious, consistent in what they do. Right. Some are just quirky and fun. Others are going to break new ground that we are not going to believe we're podcasting whenever you want to date it back to 2005 and uh, maybe some of the original uh, uh this american life that uh, then was posted from public radio i don't know where you know people have a, a different sense of the founding of what a podcast is and of course it's a combination of ipod and pods and broadcasts so we're all trying to find where is that unique and special voice uh that gives you uh the ability Uh, to find an audience. And uh, there are only a few of us, and we're not one of them yet, uh, Mm -hmm. that has found millions and millions of subscribers. But then again, John and I haven't found anybody who's killed someone such that we wanted to do a serial crime drama (laughs) about it. And we know that on podcasting, that is the most successful genre of all.
0: Absolutely. Oh, I can't even... And, you know, we do so many shows, I was just looking at my own numbers, which I never look at, and people tend yeah. not to believe me, but I really do not look at my numbers. I'm, it just, it doesn't, if 40 people are listening, that's fabulous, and if 100,000 people are listening, that's fabulous too. I just don't think about it. But I did today, because I was in yeah. off a new account for someone else. And I went through, and I was like, "Well, I should just look and see, you know, what topics people really, you know, glom onto and are interested in hearing." Well, every single time I talk about narcissism, we see an such a spike in downloads and plays. Um, every, you know, that, and I thought this is why I don't look at it because I don't want to be seduced into doing nothing but shows about narcissistic personality disorder because I just can't. It makes me start to feel sick after a while. Ta- talking about. Now, why it? Oh, do you
1: think God. that is? I mean, now now I've got to ask you, um, being an interviewer most of the time and not a guest, <laughs> why is it that you think people are so fascinated? Is it because many might say that in the Oval Office, there's a, a narcissist mm-hmm. or are people wondering whether they suffer from that or maybe they have a certain vulnerability where they wonder how can somebody be that confident in their own capabilities at a time when I'm so incapable of understanding my value in this society. So what do you think's going on?
0: Well, I think it's just an epidemic. It's an absolute ep- epidemic of western society and people are gas, you know, their people are gaslit all over the place and so they're looking for anything to provide validation for what they're going through dealing with a narcissist. That that takes up the bulk of the people that listen, people that are um, you know, that that are Absolutely walking around in cognitive dissonance, um, maybe 1% are narcissists listening to get some kind of revelation about their narcissism, uh, because we know that that's why they're narcissists because they don't care, And they're not going to and also would to say to piggyback on what you said. Um, the incompetence. Well, what or the competence that these people that are highly narcissistic display this level of belief in themselves and whatever I think the gaslighting or the cognitive dissonance comes into play where it's like this person seems so confident and yet they're so incompetent how is that even possible and so they need to hear shows where people talk about their own experience of this so that they can sit there and go okay I'm not crazy. Other people see this too. Other people so kind of like wearing those x-ray specs where you see aliens and nobody else can see Mm -hmm. them. They're wearing the x-ray specs. That's what podcasts end up doing. You're you're listening to it and you're like, okay, okay, okay. I'm not the only one with the x-ray specs. Got it. Got it. Got it. That's why they listen.
1: And it's really interesting also, I think that during this digital revolution that we're now experiencing, I mean, everybody becomes their own network and their own filter Mm -hmm. And uh, the world begins to some way really begin to shine a light on you and uh, people will respond to who you are and you will attract people uh, to material that you're posting or that you're producing because, you know, you can do that now, whereas in the past you were rather anonymous and you accepted things from more central broadcast medium. And now, you know, you are the media in a sense and you're building your own. relational, uh, you know, hub that others can come to and react to. And I think there are a lot of people out there wondering whether they have anything really important to say. And I know we always ask ourselves, you know, is this really a topic that we should be dealing with? Are we doing it the right way? Is it serious enough? Uh, Do we have the right guest? Uh, You know, so, I mean, we try to take pretty seriously the fact that now it's an open source uh, this podcasting world and uh, there aren't that many people looking over our shoulder and right. even you as a network head one of the things you said to us at the beginning was uh, i trust you you've had over 200 episodes before me and you have a long history and so i give you full faith and confidence that you can be on my network and by the way we really appreciate that but that's a risk and uh, people should not underestimate the risk that you take uh, by allowing this flow of information
0: oh, well thank you I mean I, I, I would feel so narcissistic for me to be like what is it you're talking about I can't even fathom I can't even fathom telling somebody else what they should and shouldn't be talking about I just want people to use their voice to do good that's literally all I care about and don't you know don't um don't be a sociopath on the air, please, you know.
1: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, you know, John and I coming out of broadcasting, I mean, where there's always again a gatekeeper and such. And um, you know, my history where I was the gatekeeper for a public television network for years, and perhaps that's where a lot of the eclectic interests come from. Yes. When you think about it, public television Uh, is one of those few sources of information. Once you get by the magnificent children's programming during the day, where environmental programs, uh, political documentaries, drama, self-help, how-to, all of these genres can live together. And that's a rather unique thing when you think about how many uh, different channels and networks that are very closely uh, aligned one show to the next. Uh, that public television has helped to spawn over the years. And uh, so I come out of that eclectic background. So I think that's where America Trends uh, in its uh, real soul and heart comes from.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I, the thing that I love about your show is the, ecle- I'm making up a word maybe, the eclecticity. Is that an actual word? Or did I just make something? Up? Uh, I don't know, John. That'll I know
1: work knows well, a lot about you.
2: do work. We need to Well, we need to get a new one in the dictionary, so maybe we can start a
1: new word.
0: There we go. Electricity. There we go.
1: And by the way, I want to remind both of you that I think in 2005, maybe it was 2006, podcast was the word of the year. And that didn't exist before. So if this doesn't exist, it will after this podcast.
0: And I just messed it up, even in my own making up of a new word, maybe. I said electricity, and no, it's eclectic. (laughs) eclecticity. <laughs> Say yeah. that there you times go. fast and then well, we got to go use that beer. in every yeah.
2: podcast now so that uh, <laughs> we'll get, the, get it in the dictionary next year. <laughs> Where eclecticity <laughs> lives
0: and grows. Because I mean what is my show? We know when you were telling me this, you know, while well, our show is very eclectic, I don't know how we'll be able to you know, maybe attract sponsors for it or, or you know, it's very and I was like, yeah, well that makes awesome because my show is completely eclectic. I mean, I could be talking to a, you know, somebody from the Boston Globe about the Catholic church scandal. And then the next day I'm talking to a neighbor who has bipolar disorder. And then the next day I'm talking to one of the Bill Cosby survivors. And the next day I'm talking to someone I met, you know, at the grocery store that has a son who's autistic. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an example. That's the great thing about having this broadcasting freedom is that whatever your mind find interesting you can then put it out there and if other people that are listening find what you think interesting well that's pretty awesome
1: yeah i mean you've got all these podcasts two guys interested in a ball of yarn or whatever it may be (laughs) and somehow no they do find somebody out there right john that was our next one
2: (laughs) But uh, i think too i mean i find myself i mean with the news especially asking myself you know, uh, why do I think this way? And why are these people crazy? And, and you know, with America Trends and other podcasts out there, I'm kind of getting the, some of the answers, but not all of them, but it's helping me kind of work that out a little bit.
0: Right. Great. Well, I want to hear about, <laughs> I want to hear about how the two of you work together in radio. And I want to hear about Barney. Because, you know, I I had to deal with the whole Barney.
2: Barney is a big purple dinosaur.
0: Yes, yes. And I I had to watch (laughs) a lot of him with my son. But first I want to hear about how how did the two of you come together in radio?
1: Well, let me me start this. Um, You know, I came back into radio uh, because radio is my first love. And I grew up in radio. I call myself a radio brat. I was the type of person, Kristen, who would tell my dad, who was a program director, at the radio station where we emanate from for this podcast, and we're here right now as we speak to you Mm -hmm. in Waterbury, Connecticut. And uh, my dad was a program director, then a general manager. So what is a radio brat's uh, personal job description? It's to tell his dad that he listens all the time to his radio station. And here's the guy who deserves to be on Here's the guy who deserves to be fired. Or, hey, Dad, it's Sunday morning, I know, and I know they're running religious tapes going way back to the 1960s, but you're off the air, Dad. And that is really an anathema in broadcasting dead air. You don't want any dead air. And so my dad would say, well, give me another five minutes of rest and then get back to me. Let me know whether we're still off the air. And indeed they were. And you know, the old broadcast facilities, and including the one that we're at today, I mean, they still have lights that blink because you can't have phones going off while you're on the air. And mm-hmm. so, evidently, if you're sleeping, uh, your sensory capabilities don't include seeing a light blinking. <laughs> and so, my dad had to go down and fire this gentleman in one case. But I was the critic. And then, of course, my dad died when I was very young, about 19. And uh, the folks at the radio station at that time said, well, why don't you get your license and put your mouth where your beliefs are and try it yourself. And so I did as part of an experience going through college and the like. But John and I, after I'd finished kind of a long career in television, I really wanted to get back to my first love. Because it you scratch most people of a certain age who are in television, they all go back their roots to radio. And I came back and started doing a weekend show at uh, this uh, station. And I had been on a platform that was a little bit more exposed than this one, but I wanted to come back home. I really did. And maybe I wanted to relive some of the beauty of my father's life, which I thought was so wonderful, being the guy on Main Street who really was in touch with what was going on in the community. So I was welcomed back by this wonderful radio station, WATR, and I was allowed to do a weekend program. And one of the great people that I met on day one was John Crossick, mm-hmm. And uh, he's kind of the utility guy here who does everything for everyone mm-hmm. and has such an incredible disposition. And is just, um, you know, just so, um, I and don't know, I, gracious. The in,
0: best laugh in, ever, right? The
1: best laugh ever. Indeed. Yeah, they all want to
2: record that, but <laughs> I won't let them.
0: <laughs> it's such a great But now he's I actually doing
1: a show at the same radio station uh, with another woman on Saturday mornings. And I think he's starting to steal the show. But <laughs> John is just one of the great people I've, I've really ever met in this industry. And we just became fast friends. And then later as i was doing a radio talk show on a daily basis having come back to the station full-time uh, john became my producer and we had such fun working together and getting to know each other even better at that point so john now i'll let you tell your
2: you your story. story. you want to know my story you know i started in radio my dad i remember i was about seven years old he brought home this huge shortwave radio and he was a french teacher because he wanted to hear how the french French and not the Canadians who speak like a slang. Right. And I just fell in love with the shortwave radio. We listened to the BBC. We listened to Radio Moscow. I mean, all the, it just amazed me that I could sit in and, you know, my dad would take out the, uh, you know, the map and show me, hey, there's this here to hear uh, radio signals from thousands of miles away that uh, I fell in love with it. And then there I grew up with uh, Long John Neville and Gene Shepard and Barry Farber. I can't even remember all the names. And, uh, I, you know, it says I got my ham license when I was around 10. And I just went into electronics because, uh, you know, I, I, not only did it, it. I sure, he brought home their shortwave radio, but when I broke it, I had to take it apart. Of course, he was all upset because I had parts all over the place because I yeah. wanted to see how this thing worked. <laughs> <laughs> There's that bomb. Yes, It arrived. <laughs> so I got in trouble for that. But, you know, that put me into electronics, which, you know, I've done my whole life, repair, you know, electronics. And uh, and that brought me into to radio. I worked on two-way radios for a long time with Motorola. And then I went down to Channel 8, worked on TV. I didn't like TV. Once you see how the, the sausage is made, <laughs> TV is, is, is too, is wacky. It's really wacky. And it's, uh, you know, radio is so much simpler. Yes. Simplicity of radio. And I had been working here full, if part-time, doing remotes and stuff and fixing stuff anyhow. So when I, when I quit Channel 8, I had a heart attack. And my wife said, "You can't, you know, you can't do that anymore." Right. So we, I, I came back to uh, radio. It was, uh, it was a wonderful thing, and I met Larry, and that was uh, the rest is kind of history. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: I so that That's every
2: that's, that's my that's
1: my story in short. <laughs>
0: <laughs> From Broadway, well, play into Barney.
1: <laughs> well, oh, Barney. Barney was kind of uh, <laughs> separate and apart from all that we just talked about. But again, I think you can sense uh, this love for this particular medium. Yeah. But I got myself involved in television, uh, even though I started out in the radio business and then uh, tried to kind of separate myself, Kristen, from my dad. I think because my dad died very young and I didn't really want to be compared directly to him, but I knew I really wanted to argue ideas and thoughts in the court of public opinion, uh, even though I thought I was going to go into law. And I um, decided that um, I would do public relations and fundraising, which I did for Easter Seals. And in that process, I actually produced two telethons on WATR's television station, which they owned in a previous life. And so that gave me a little bit of a bug about television. Now, John is right. Television's different. It's hard. And if somebody on your team is having a bad day, whether it's in transmission or audio or lighting, no matter how well you've planned, uh, you're in for a tough skate. And radio is much simpler, as John said. But ultimately, it's tough putting that sausage together there. Absolutely. (laughs) But I ended up being the assistant to the Commissioner of Education in Connecticut for a couple of years doing speech writing and the like. And I got introduced to the people at Connecticut Public Television. And I went over there and I started out as the head of public relations. Then when a new general manager who just retired a few days ago came on, he spent 34 years at CPTV. He looked at me and said, you know, you're the only guy here who understands what's going on in the state of Connecticut. So why don't I uh promote you to head of programming uh and uh, give us some some new ways of looking at things and then he said gee not only do i want you to run the state programming shop but i'd like you to run the national programming shop because i think what people don't understand about public television if i can take a moment is that pbs unlike other networks doesn't produce anything Kristen, i don't know if people understand this it's all produced by independent producers like ken burns or great stations like WGBH in Boston, or WNET in New York, Mm -hmm. or many other stations. So our station, we were a rather risk-averse station here in Mm -hmm. Connecticut. We didn't have a lot of resource to fall back on, but we were told by McKinsey & Company, that great consulting firm, that you guys have a great opportunity in Connecticut because you're between Boston and New York. So there are great producers and talented people who are looking to work with a station, kind of like with you, Kristen, where they're not overlords where they're going to demand that much of you as GBH or WNET will, but they want to work in this environment in the Northeast, which is a very active place for public television. So we started trying to look for those kinds of projects that would not bankrupt us by virtue of the research and development costs, but would give us great opportunities uh, to make a contribution to the national schedule. So I was well aware that PBS was looking for children's programming back in 1991. And one Sunday, it was a Super Bowl Sunday, I took my daughter to a home video store. And Kristen, I don't know why she did it, but she plucked out this video that was Barney and the Backyard Gang. (laughs) And Sandy Duncan was leading the action. So there was adults involved at that time. Of course, we took the adults out of Barney primarily and made it uh, Barney and kid driven. But at that point, my daughter, who was not a videophile, uh, kept watching it over and over and over again. And so I had to go in and take a look at what I saw. And there were some elements of it through some pretty hazy production values (laughs) that I thought really might work as PBS was looking for new children's programming to supplement Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. So the next day I got on with Cheryl Leach uh, from the Lions Group down in uh, Texas. And I said, Cheryl, have you ever thought about PBS? And she said, PBS, tell me more. And, uh, well, that started about an 18-year relationship where we, Connecticut Public Television, were their entree into PBS, and we were a co-producer of the project after having got $2.25 million to start it off from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. But I don't want to go any deeper than that because the story is a little more complicated than I'm making it, but that's uh, the way it all started, really.
0: Wow. Wow. So the uh, the bringers of Barney to the public foray, hmm?
1: Well, I'll tell you something. (laughs) To ride a national phenomenon like that was uh, a pretty amazing ride, I've got to say. And uh, then we were blessed. We were really blessed that not only did we bust open the children's market, because PBS really, I think, was the progenitor of things like Nick Jr. uh, when you saw that there was commercial value uh, in programming for young children. But beyond that, We also brought Bob the Builder back to public television, Angelina Ballerina, Thomas the Tank Engine, uh, so many projects. And so it was really a wonderful relationship that we established with the second group that bought Barney, which was hit entertainment, Henson International Television. Not to mention you had great
2: shows like This Old House. And the cooking shows, Julia Child. I mean, you Ooh, guys are really ahead of your time, anyhow. Well, how
1: many how many cable <laughs> channels did Public Television respond right. when you think right. about it? Yes. <laughs>
2: it's amazing. True.
1: But then we had a second revolution that we started with women's basketball here in Connecticut, the vaunted UConn women's basketball team. Mm-hmm. We began to televise their uh, games, and it was became the most successful local franchise. In the history of public television. So we had two uh, gargantuan uh, hits, and it was uh, really a wonderful experience overall. It really was.
0: Wow, that's amazing. That's incredible. So When I first was asked to be on someone else's podcast as a guest, you know, I'm kind of one of those people that I'm up for anything. I had Mm no clue what it was. I had a five-minute sort of Google search and went, oh, okay, so it's internet radio, not AM, FM, but, you know, and of course, so many things have changed. Now there are podcasts that get played on AM and FM radio stations, and there are also Uh, there's also radio content that gets streamed on internet radio so the whole industry has just morphed and changed however when you started you know the idea or the concept of creating America trends what made you say okay we're gonna do this as a podcast in this market where no one really even knew at the time that you started it what a podcast was (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Well, I wanted to get out of, I was doing, you know, the daily talk program with John and he being my producer. And I, I got to tell you, after seven years of that, after a very, you know, involved career uh, in public television for over a quarter of a century, it was a great opportunity. I loved every minute of the seven, um, you know, the seven years. But we were doing three hours a day and we were heavily guested as well as call-ins. And we were very eclectic. And I guess the thing that I loved the most, John, were these topics where I was just a little bit ahead of the curve looking at where we were going as a society and our politics. Things that perhaps other people would say, ah, I never really thought about that. And I would bring these incredible guests and we developed wonderful relationships with publishers and think tanks And I I was blessed uh, with that because I think when people came on our show, even though we kind of fought above our weight class because we're in a relatively small market of about 400,000 people, uh, I would get incredible guests, Ralph Nader and Alan Dershowitz and Gloria Allred and Mario Cuomo, and we would just get great people. And they always felt that they came away having been in a real experience. I could tell at times, Kristen, you might feel this at times, somebody comes on with you, and says, oh, this is an obligation. (laughs) This isn't something I really want to do. And then all of a sudden they realize they're engaged in a real conversation with somebody who's thought about it. And then all of a sudden you can almost see the light bulb go on like, hey, (laughs) I better step up my game here. So uh, uh, that happened to us a lot. Well, plus we
2: we were already kind of ahead. We were putting stuff from the show online, stuff we thought that was really good. Mm -hmm. We were putting online anyhow kind of as... I guess sort of a podcast, you know, just because people were requesting to hear the stuff and we had to put have somewhere to put them. So that's kind of how Rifkin Radio got started. About two or three years before you retired, I guess, we started putting stuff online. So it just seemed like a
1: natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the radio was really intense. I mean, to do that every day. I mean, I was blackening walls and my wife was getting crazy with all the newspapers and I was totally (laughs) immersed in it. And I wanted to step back a little bit, but I also wanted to kind of push forward and look at what these trends were that so interested uh, me and John. And uh, I think we've been able to really capture the spirit because we're not trendy in the way that a lot of people talk about trends. You know, oh, you know, this is the fashion of the week or this is the um, music of the moment. we try to look at things that are really going to be able to sustain a shelf life for a good long period of time.
0: Right. Things that have legs. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: So what would you say some of the trends that you've, you've talked about on your show, and I know there's many, so just try to pick out you know, a few that really utterly fascinated you, you know, like what is that, you know, something like that in the sea of trends that you talk about. What are some highlights?
1: Well, first of all, I I think, you know, it depends on, I'm a political science major, so a lot about our politics fascinates me. In fact, later today, we're going to be recording one for your network on the democracy fix. And I never really put into context how smart the Republicans in America have been at winning elections and then saying, once we get the power, we'll figure out the policies where Democrats in our society have often said, let's focus on the policy and not realize that they were getting their you know, heads handed to them from a politicking standpoint with all the media and all of the think tanks and all of the special um, mechanisms that the Republicans were putting in place, including a lot of gerrymandering in many states but the Republicans were very smart about that. And we have studied that issue in a number of different ways, but that is one that really does need to be told and understood, as does the story of the fault lines in America. We actually just did one and have done several on some of the fissures and how our politics has gotten to the point that it is. We're also doing a whole lot about the environment we just did one that we posted and it's available for you to listen on the network uh, grand canyon for sale and uh, looking at public lands looking at uh, the uninhabitable earth as we go forward so we really try to home in on those topics that we think are serious meaningful and that somebody can almost use as a research guide going forward you know if they're really taking a course and they say, I wanna hear something online, on a podcast that really addresses this issue earnestly. And I'll tell you, I'm gonna be teaching a course Uh, next semester at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of Connecticut for Older Learners. And I'm using the podcast as the basis. Mm -hmm. So for example, we just posted one that I think will really get their attention. I may make it the first week's uh, course about jury trials and what has happened to them in America. And Kristen, it's unbelievable. If I ask you, for example, of all the criminal and civil uh, cases that are adjudicated in our courts, what percentage of those ever go to trial as opposed to mediation or arbitration? I mean, if you just picked a number out of the air, what might it be?
0: I have no earthly idea, and I'm so okay and confident in, in admitting that.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, people are going to be stunned when they learn that only 1% or
2: less of you, cases... You could have kept them on a the cliffhanger there. You could have said, "Ah, oh, you
1: know. got to listen to the I podcast. <laughs> I know, but there's so many other revelations in that podcast. So, you know, who else is going to look at jury trials in America?
2: Well, we got the foster right. child crisis that's going on. You never hear about. We did. How um, about the
1: boys crisis? The boys no, we crisis. I mean, we, we, we
2: really touched some things that are going on that uh, you never hear about. You wonder where are these people because there's so much is going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean right now what's fascinating to me is uh there for uh, this is not like this hasn't been going on but there's this uptick in news stories about sex trafficking and mm. um and about how sexual abuse as a young child rewires your brain and the trauma that it causes but but that there's yeah. there's a, so many in America there are You know, people think of sex track trafficking. They're like, "Oh, that's somewhere in Europe, or that's wherever." It's not here. And no, and you get
2: these little blurbs on the news, but that's all you see. Go
0: away, exactly. And right now, like this week, there's a bunch of stuff ratcheted up about that. And I think, and you know, of course, we're gonna jump all over that and do some stories. But I think about what you're saying. It comes and it goes, poof, and then it just disappears. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and I've got to say that my wife uh, led me to a group uh, here in Connecticut that's very involved in that, and I've got the file waiting for me to delve into it so we can do a podcast on that. We're also going to be posting one, and maybe by the time people hear this, it will be up on the vaccine issue in America, which is uh, so trending now in an unfortunate sense. Uh, we're looking at Ryan Hampton. I know you've had him on about the yeah. addiction fix in America. Um, you know, we're looking at fertility rates that are dropping in this country. And what are the implications of that? And junk food ads targeted to black and Hispanic kids. And why is that happening? And what are the impacts of that? What about 5G, this fascinating new technology? Yeah. So, I mean, our interests are pretty... Um, Unbounded, yeah, will. which is
0: phenomenal. That's that's what makes for an interesting life, and what a great, I mean, the great place of the great reason for doing podcasting is you don't have that corporate entity hanging over your head saying, "Well, yes, that's a great topic." However, our advertisers aren't going to like that, or exactly. going listen. Well, you can just record it, and you know, some people like. I interviewed someone about mental health in Kenya and, you know, we did not have very many people listen to that show, Mm. (laughs) but you know what? Mm -hmm. I found it utterly fascinating.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we had a doctor on who actually um, looks at medicine as being something that is not to be practiced only one person and one physician or practitioner to another, but he's imploring other doctors to become more socially engaged and responsible, as he has been around the world, tackling uh, AIDS and so many other issues. Mm -hmm. And actually, he brought a lot of listeners to us, uh, was really a remarkable guest. And so we're not afraid, I mean, of the topic being rather small in terms of the audience, Uh, we're interested in finding great people who will bring us to their audiences. Many of them have great social media followings, but we don't base it on that. We base it on the quality of what it is that they can provide to anyone who's listening and whether they're listening within the first week it's offered or in five years from now when we may be on to other things or who knows what.
0: Well, there's a wonderful guest. I have Christine Louis de Cannonville. She's a psychotherapist in Ireland and it's so funny to me as I was doing my research on well what are the shows over the course of time that get the most listens and which guest and uh, not you know of course the Bill Cosby survivors and those kinds of guests that come with a, a lot a ton of media yes they have an initial hit of a lot of downloads but in terms of constant stream of downloads over time it's my friend christine who's just doing her thing in ireland and the, yes the topic is on narcissism and those
2: irish people always seem so happy
0: She and she is she's lovely she's, <laughs> she's a good friend but it's so funny to see little old christine in the middle and i christine i'm sorry if you hear this i don't mean old as in old but you know <laughs> who's sitting in ireland and doing her thing and chugging along and she's not a you know, out there on Oprah Winfrey's Soul Sunday, should be, but, you know, but here we are, sustained, constant listenership of her shows is what I saw through my whole, so you never know, you never know what pocket people you know, come with the kind of Well, let's be
1: honest, podcasts are still in a rather infant stage. As much as they've been growing, if we look at this, what they call Edison Research, and they're growing as one of the audio options. But it's still relatively small. I think we're up to about 70% of the people in the country who actually now know what it it means when somebody (laughs) says to them, do you listen to podcasts? And probably, uh, I'd say, 30 to 40% of the people in this country have listened or continually listened to podcasts, but we've got a long way to go. And that's why we're so thrilled to be part of your network so that we can open ourselves up to more people without a paywall. Uh, And I know there's a lot of debate in our uh, industry now, and it is an industry. I think since Spotify uh, just uh, bought Gimlet, people realize this is a serious undertaking and the next phase. And if they don't think that, go back to Netflix and streaming if you thought that CBS was going to be uh, the dominant player forever. Right. Look what Netflix and others are doing to disrupt television.
0: And, and the movie is doing the same thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, gentlemen, tell our listeners, again, you know, the website, where they can find you, all of those things.
1: Well, americatrendspodcast.com. And you can find us uh, on Facebook and Twitter at Trends Podcast. You can find us on all the major aggregating sites, right, John? You want yeah. to list them?
2: We even got a new one. What was it? Uh, Podbean? Or- Podbean. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know we were
0: yep. there. <laughs> <Google> <laughs> radio, it's amazing how Spotify. it gets spread out everywhere, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah.
1: Most importantly, we are together with a family of incredible podcasters that uh, Kristen has put together. Uh, on her site, uh, Mental Health uh, Radio News Network. And we're so thrilled, really, and so grateful to you for that. And uh, we do tackle a lot of issues and you know about mental health. And, you know, our society and its politics reflects on how we all feel as individuals. And we as individuals, if we're ready to engage in politics and social issues, have to be of a certain mind. So I think there really is a, a confluence of interest uh, between what we bring. And you saw that. And absolutely. you perhaps saw that a lot more than I did at the beginning. And I thank you for your vision.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We're we're a um, we're a interesting bunch of misfit toys that bring a lot of eclecticity. How's that for a sentence?
1: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you I, you've coined the word. It's yours.
0: <laughs> Alert Wikipedia or Webster's dictionary. Anyway, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Kristen, thank you so much. John, you want to say your final words? Thank you.
0: (laughs) A a giggle (laughs) somewhere. There we go. We got a little one. (laughs) Listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials. But seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air, please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive-aggressive. But never without good intentions I heat up and act on my emotions. thanks so much for listening to mental health news radio our podcast can be found on iTunes stitcher and hundreds of other podcast apps or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com if you have a question or would like to be a guest become a podcaster on our network or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sone. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised sometimes in oh, you I can, can find
1: it. It. good boy